So we talked last week about road construction and how road construction is everywhere, and it's everywhere on the stage as well. And the idea that while we all are running into road construction all over the place, all of the time, and it seems like it's never going to be finished because it's not, um, we live in Ohio, we're never going to be done with road construction, and if you see a place that's, uh, that's almost done, uh, be thankful that it's almost done because we know that they're going to start tearing it up here any time now right after they're done with it. Um, the, uh, the fact of the matter, though, is you know something I said last week. My wife and I, we pass all this road construction, and it's always an adventure when you're going on the road because you never know what you're going to have to go around and which lane you're supposed to be in. Um, and as frustrating as it can be, we'll just look at it and say, it'll be nice when it's done. And it will be nice when it's done. Um, and at the same time, though, how often do we think maybe God looks at us that way? In the construction project that he's doing in our life and the things that he's doing in your life and the things he's doing in mine to grow us closer to him, he's maybe looking at us and saying, boy, it'll be nice when it's done. And we know that that will never be done, that process will never be done until we meet him, that it's an unfinished process that is something that is continually happening because life with Jesus really is a process that is never finished, but God is constantly working on us. And just like road construction, it's never convenient, but it's always necessary. It's always necessary for God to continue to work on us. And, and last week, we started with this idea of a disciple, because as we're being uh, molded and shaped and growing, and we talked about knowing the Lord and growing in our knowledge last week, um, this idea really is us being more of a disciple of Jesus and growing as a disciple of him, as a follower of him. And so I put out a definition of a disciple last week, and I'd, and I'd like to start with that again to look at that definition that is based on biblical principles. And so this is kind of my definition, but it's one that, that I'd like for us to, to all look at, and it says, a disciple is completely committed to knowing, loving, and following Jesus. They live every day to pursue him further and share his message with the world. And that really, in many ways, uh, sums up what we're all about here at Connect Church as well, that, that we're committed to, to knowing, loving, and following Jesus. And um, in that construction project, if you will, is never finished, um, and living every day to pursue him further and share his message with the world. And last week, we talked about getting to know Jesus more. And so I wonder how you did with your own connection point that you wrote last week about what is the one step you could take to get to know Jesus better. If you missed last week, I would highly encourage you to jump on the website and, uh, and listen to it. All of the messages you can, uh, you can listen to at any time. You can even subscribe and down onto your phone uh, and you can listen to those anytime. But if you missed last week, I would highly encourage you to listen to that so that you can understand the part about knowing Jesus and how important that is in our growth and being uh, more of a disciple of Jesus. And so today I want to focus, though, on loving Jesus. Uh, we're going to talk about loving Jesus, knowing, loving, and following Jesus. Today we're going to look at loving him. And we're never finished loving Jesus. We never get to a point where we say, I love Jesus enough. And he can never love us, and as far as we're concerned, he's never finished loving us either. That process of him loving us is a constant thing that's happening, but his love is perfect. His love is complete, 
And, uh, and really for us though, it is a lifelong process. And that's the first point, is that loving Jesus is a lifelong process. For us, that is a lifelong process of loving Jesus and loving him more. And love is definitely a construction project that constantly needs work. I'm sure you can think about aspects of your life as well, not just loving Jesus, but loving others. And that is a constant project uh, that, that we're working on. But the thing about loving Jesus is that the more you get to know him, the more you love him. The more you get to know him, the more you love him, and the more you realize how much he loves you. Because I don't think we can get our head around how much he loves us. I don't know if you've ever heard the statement, you can't outgive God. Well, you can't outlove God either. He designed love, he created love. He is love, according to, uh, according to scripture. And you can't outlove him. One of the hardest things for people to get their head around is the fact that Jesus loves you no matter what. And I know we've heard that before, and you've probably heard that. Of course, you see that, though, but, but to try to like really get your head around that, do we really believe that? That Jesus loves us no matter what. His love is perfect. His love is complete. There is, uh, there is nothing that you can do to make him love you more, and there is nothing you can do to make him love you less. Now, I'm going to set up uh, some washers here on this as a little illustration for everyone. And these washers are going to be representing our mistakes. These washers are going to be representing the mistakes that we make in our life and the sin that we have in our life because um, we all mess up, right? Um, we all mess up. I've messed up uh, many times um, and, you know, just this morning. So the, uh, the stack of sins in my life, if I were to stack them up, would look, gosh, this is frustrating because these are, t these are tiny. This is sort of frustrating to make this little stack, but it's worth it because I want us to understand something here about this because of the way we look at our sin is much different than the way God looks at our sin. The way we look at sin is in many ways the way that you all are looking at these stacks of washers here, okay? Because God has a much different perspective than we do. So we see these stacks of washers, and just for illustration's sake, right, God is looking down on us. And if you could go to the next uh, picture for me here, you can see looking down on these washers, this is an image of what this looks like if I'm looking down on those. You really only see three from that perspective. You can't tell me how many are there. You can't tell me how high they are. You see three, but you see washers. And that's really an illustration of how God is looking at us, right? God looking down at us, and he sees washers. He sees sin. He sees mistakes. He absolutely sees them. But we see them this way. We see them down like this. And if you could go to the next picture for me. We see them like this. We see the different height. We see the different weight. We see the different size. And we measure those things. And we look at those sins, and we look at those mistakes, and we look at those with a much different value than the way that God looks at that. Because God looks down and he sees sin, and sin is sin is sin. But we look at it from the side, and we see, well, that person's stack is bigger than that person's. And my, 
you know, may, maybe, maybe mine has much more weight in my life, and so I'm holding that over my own head. And we take that perspective and we take that comparison game and we think that that affects God's love for us. And we think that that affects the amount of love, the quality of love. And when we look at it like that, which is very human of us to do because we're imperfect and we look at sin and we see the different weight and the values. But God looks at sin and he sees sin. And there is no, uh, there, there is no difference in uh, in sin in terms of weight and value to God. He sees sin, and it only takes one sin to separate you from God. And so we've all messed that up. And so why do we bother weighing the height of each person's stack? It's because that's the way that we are. And then we let that affect the way that we love God and the way that God loves us in our own mind. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 21. John chapter 21, we're going to read a story, um, a quick story about Jesus talking with Peter. And this takes place after the resurrection. So the resurrection has happened. Jesus was crucified. The resurrection has happened. And the disciples in many ways are on the run. And they are fishing. And they're out on the Sea of Galilee fishing. And there's someone on the shore that yells out and says, hey, why don't you throw your nets on the other side? Because they weren't, cast, they weren't catching anything. So they throw their nets on the other side, and they bring in a huge catch of fish, something like 158 fish, if you, if you read further up into the passage. Um, a ton of fish. And it's then that John realizes that it's Jesus, and Peter kind of confirms, yeah, that's Jesus. I've seen this movie before, because there's been kind of you know, a story just like that earlier in the scripture when they first met Jesus. And so they bring in all the fish, and, and Jesus says, come on on shore. I'm making breakfast. Let's sit down, and, and let's have a meal, and let's talk. And he brings them all on shore. Now, you have to understand Peter's perspective on this. This is after the resurrection. This is the third time that he's appeared to them, but this is really the first time that Jesus has had a chance to really sit down and talk with Peter since he denied him three times. If you know the story of Peter was the guy that said, I will never deny you, Jesus. I will go to my grave. I will be there by your side the whole time until that night. And until that night, three times he denies Jesus. And on the third time, it says that he locked eyes with Jesus and that he ran and wept bitterly, it says. I can imagine how you would feel and that piercing moment of the Son of God looking at you and knowing you know that you did exactly what you said you weren't going to do. And you did it three times. And so Peter sits down here with Jesus on the, on the shore. There's your background. And they're sitting there talking. And Peter's thinking, more than likely, I'm, I'm done. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to probably get just destroyed here right now. But the fact of the matter is, guys, is that Jesus was not done with him because he made a mistake. And I'm so thankful that Jesus is not done with me when I make a mistake. And Jesus is not done with you when you make a mistake. Jesus was not done with him. In fact, it was just the opposite. And you're going to see that here as we go through this. And in many ways, we're going to look at this passage twice. And so I want to read it this time and then go back and break it apart. So John chapter 21, beginning in verse 15, says this, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? 
Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Third time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. So Jesus asks him three times. Peter denied him three times. Kind of ironic. Very much intentional because everything Jesus did was intentional. But you know, the words for love here that were used give us a different look at this. I don't know how many of you had noticed this before. English is stupid. (laughs) Yeah, there's your connection point. Um, Seriously, if that's all you take from today, I've messed up. Um, But it's true. The Bible was not written in English. The Bible was written in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. And this, among very many other reasons, is why I think God chose not to do it because English just can't say it all. The word for love that is used here, there are four words in the Greek language for love. Four words in the Greek language for love. And, and the word that, that's used here, this really will put a whole new perspective on this passage when you read it, understanding this. Because you've got these four words. You've got storge, eros, phileo, and agape. right? And storge would be like the affection that someone feels for like a parent or a child. Um, like a a family kind of love. And then you've got eros, which is the sexual kind of love. And then phileo, which is the brotherly kind of love. And agape is unconditional, the God kind of love, the never expecting anything in return kind of love. See, we use love all the time for things in ways that means various things. And so we throw that term around, love, all the time. I went to Quaker Steak and Lube this past week for all you can eat wings night, and I love Quaker Steak's wings. But I, <laughs> thanks, buddy. But I don't <laughs> love those wings the way that I love my wife. And if I did, that would be a problem. See what I mean? We throw around love all the time. But let's look at love from really the creator of love, and let's put this in the context here, because the first two times it was asked, Jesus asks agape, unconditional, God kind of love. Peter responds, if you look at at the original way, Peter responds with phileo, with the brotherly kind of love. Like, yeah, Jesus, I love you. High five, right? Now, the third time in verse 17, Jesus uses phileo. And so Jesus was almost saying, like, so you love me like one of your friends? Cool. See, Peter would not say, I love you unconditionally, because he knew he couldn't say it. He knew he couldn't say it. And earlier, Jesus said that someone who loves him is one that keeps his commands, in John 14, 21, he says that. He, he commanded his disciples to, to meet him on the mountain in Matthew 28, and he gave them the great commission, which is why Peter says here, it's why he says, you know all things, Lord. He's, he's basically saying, you know I'm, I'm, I'm in the wrong place here, God. You know, you know Lord, that I'm, I'm messing this up, and that's why I can't say that I love you the way that you taught us to love you. 
but I really do like you a lot. See, he was putting a guilt trip on himself. But God wasn't. See, God has a purpose and a passion for people that the world sees as unfinished. That's the next point, is that God has a purpose and a passion for people that the world sees as unfinished. God loves a construction project. And we struggle with this, though. Because we think that for God to use us, we need to be in a place where we have maybe are already complete or much further down the road in the, in the process. And we struggle because that perspective is also why we have a hard time forgiving other people. That's why we have a, a hard time forgiving ourselves and forgiving others and how quickly we forget how much we've been forgiven. How quickly we forget. We have been forgiven for so much. And then, but then we feel the guilt and we feel the shame and maybe it's because of our lack of knowledge of God, like we talked about last week. Our knowledge of God, who he really is, and then we get trapped by guilt. Let me give you a verse that's encouraging in this regard. 1 John 3.18. 3.18, and 20, actually. We're going to read all of them. It says, Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth, so we will be confident when we stand before God. Even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings, and he knows everything. Even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings, and he knows everything. See, we put up a roadblock a lot of times, and it's the roadblock of conscience. We let our conscience put up a roadblock in our life, and we put it up in our mind as a separation between a holy God, the holy God, and our feeling of being unholy. Holy means set apart. And so we put this up in our, in our minds hoping, hoping to, to block the guilt and the shame, but it doesn't. It actually makes it worse. Because Jesus doesn't stop after he cancels your sin. He's also come to free you from guilt and shame. God doesn't put you on a guilt trip. He doesn't forgive you to put you on a guilt trip. Jesus was not putting Peter on a guilt trip here. We may read into it that way, and we may think that when we mess up and we're talking to God about things and we're feeling, you know, we're, we're feeling ashamed and we're feeling um, the need to, to go to God, or maybe we feel so ashamed that we don't even feel like we can go to God because I've done this and I've done that and I'm not even worthy to talk to God right now. How many times have we done that to ourselves? But that's not what the word of God says because Jesus basically answered Peter in John 21. He didn't say, all right, well, yeah, you, you screwed up. I'm, I'm kind of done with you, bud. I'm gonna move on to somebody else. Because Peter answered him back, you know, with that brotherly love. But notice what, what Jesus was saying back to him there. He was saying, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. He's saying, serve. I want to use you. Let me use you. Jesus said, okay, this is where you're at with love, with loving me. At least you're being honest. At least you're being honest. Great. I'll meet you there. I'll meet you there. See, we don't have to come over to this place. We think we do, but really repentance is just a matter of turning around and realizing that God's standing right there the whole time. 
We think that we have to like come over here and meet God way over here. In fact, he's standing right there with you. He just wants you to turn around and fall into his arms. Because guilt and shame and regret, those things come from looking behind us. And fear and anxiety and the things that might be, those are from looking ahead of us, further ahead of the things that that might be, instead of just being present with the Lord and being present with Jesus, because that's really the only place that matters, is where you're at right here, right now. Worrying about the stuff in your past, or worrying about the things that that are coming ahead, that are on the road ahead, that you can't control. Granted, we need to keep an eye on our rearview mirror, but as we've heard that analogy, I'm sure, a million times, there's a reason the rearview mirror is smaller than the windshield. We do need to see what's coming up ahead of us, but we don't need to worry about necessarily or freak out about what's 10 miles ahead of us that we can't see. And we just really need to learn from the things that have come, come from behind us, not feel guilt and shame over them. We need to be present with the Lord and realize that he loves us. And to receive his love, we need to let him free us from those things. So have you received the love of God? Let me ask you that. Have you really received the love of God? Are you reflecting God's love? Because of you being able to to receive that love, do you bring that love to other people? Look at Psalm 103, verses 8 through 12. It says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Hear this. Those of you that that think, oh, I screw up and God's just being mad at me and, and he's punishing me, look at this verse. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. I think we need to hear that verse. Maybe you've never read that verse or had it that way. But when you look at other people's lives and and you see what they're doing, isn't it clear how many people are just desperate for love? desperate to be loved. We all are. We all want love, and we all want love and acceptance. But, you know, the great thing about God is that when you give love to somebody, when somebody gives away love, and then that person gets what they need so badly that God, God will then bless you because you're doing what he's created you to do. You get a blessing from giving love to other people. And, and a lot of people think that Christianity and being a Christian is much more complicated than it, is, than it really is. We put, this, we put this list of do's and don'ts, and we think that that is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. A list of do's and don'ts has much more to do with religion than it does to do with a relationship with Jesus. There's a big difference. The list of do's and don'ts is something that, that we have, have created because we think that if you do these things and you don't do these things, then that's what makes you a Christian, And that that maybe is what will make my heart grow closer to God when in fact the process should really be the opposite. The closer your heart grows to God and the more you get to know him and the more you get to love him, the byproduct of that will be the behaviors. But we try to handle it the other way. We try to, do it. We, we try to give the checklist and say, well, if, if we're doing this and we're doing this and we're doing this, then that must mean my heart is close to God when it really happens in reverse. This is why getting to know Jesus and loving Jesus is so important. See, when Jesus had just a little bit of time left here on earth, he grabbed 
his closest followers. He grabbed them, got them together. His time was limited. His hours were limited. And you know what he didn't do? He didn't say, well, guys, here's a list of places I don't want you to go. Here's a list of things I don't want you to do. Please don't watch these shows on Netflix. Please don't um, listen to this music. Please make sure that you wear clothes that are just like this. He didn't give them a list of do's and don'ts. He said something really simple, and it's in John 13, 34 through 35. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. By this, by your love for one another. Not by your list of do's and don'ts, not by what you're wearing or what you're not, or any of those things that you want to fill in the blank with that we all try to do and we all do it, myself included. We do it and and hopefully we can catch ourselves doing it. But we do that because here's the deal. There is no way to be effective in what God has for you without loving other people. You cannot be effective in what God has for you to do for the kingdom without loving other people. It has to start there. And there is no way to love other people without completely loving him. It's really hard to love people without loving Jesus first. And so how do you define love? Because if, if that's the standard, right, if this is the thing that, we, that we're supposed to do, this is the command, so then we should define love because we've established that English is dumb. And so we need to look at this definition of love. And what does that look like? I don't know if you can really talk about that without and saying, yes, we need, we need to love people, but how do we know what that means if you don't know, if you don't know that you're being loved? Okay, so most people define love. If you were to ask people, it's a really hard word to define. But if you were to ask a lot of people, how do you define love, you would, you would get all kinds of different answers. And the world would tell you that it's, you know, that it's sex or maybe emotion, um, but neither could be further from the truth, really. Um, and it's, it's a concept that's going to change the way that you look, I hope, at nearly every relationship uh, from here on out that you currently have or, or that you will have if, if you really get a grip on this. Because what I want to talk about is biblical, godly love and a way that we can define that. And it's a, very simple, it's a very simple definition that I hope all of us write down and then you can get your head around. And this, this is something that I heard from Josh McDowell years and years ago. And it's an amazing definition. And so I hope that we're all like, stick with me here for just a second. Everybody look at me, because this is important. Here's the definition. To protect and provide. To protect and provide. It's really simple, but it's really not because it covers so much. Think about this. The idea of godly biblical love to protect and provide. If you really love someone, if you really love someone, that every decision that you make about them, everything that you do towards them, for them, will line up with protecting and or providing for them. If someone truly loves you, same thing. Students, too many times, I'm going to talk to you guys for just a minute, too many times we think that, that we love someone or that someone loves me, I challenge you to put it through this filter. Is this person that I think loves me protecting and providing for me with the things that they're doing or the way that they're treating me? 
Are they protecting and providing for me? And that covers so many areas. That covers so many different things. But for the rest of us, this is also a filter that we need to put this through. Because some of the people maybe that that we have around us, some of the ways that maybe we are treating others, am I really loving them? Am I protecting and providing for them? Are they in return that as well? Do, Do they actually love me? And I want you to now put this through the lens of God. Think about God. Think about God's love for us. Everything that he has done, everything that he is doing, and everything that he will do is to protect and provide for his greatest creation, his masterpiece, you and me. That's his love. That's godly, biblical love, to protect and provide. And so that's why the connection point this morning is this. Jesus is never finished loving you. Jesus has never finished loving you. As I've said, there's nothing you can do to make him love you more. There is nothing you can do to make him love you less. But there is something that we can do to love him more. There is something that we can do to love him less. But to know that he has never finished loving you and that we need to grow in this area, this unfinished area of our life, that will never be finished because we can always come to love Jesus more. And that's gonna affect so many things in our life. And so then I go to the next part of the connection point for you to fill out again this week. I wonder what is one step that you can take this week to love Jesus and others more? The one step I can take this week to love Jesus and others more is What is that for you? What is that for me? I hope that this is something that you can think about and write down. You you may need some time to weigh through this and I wanna give that to you right now. But I hope that you'll write something down and and this is not to to throw away maybe what you wrote down last week because here's something interesting. Maybe what you wrote down last week could be the same thing this week that's not a cop out by the way it's the truth though because getting to know Jesus also means loving him more but what is one thing that you can do this week to love Jesus and others more would you bow with me for just a minute and I want to give you just a moment to to maybe jot something down on, on your outline or even type it into your phone if you're keeping notes on the Bible app where you can enter it right there so that you can save it and put it in a place where you can look at it this week because Jesus has never finished loving you and he deserves all the honor, glory, and praise and we get the chance to get to know and love the creator of the universe more and more every single day. Are we taking advantage of that amazing privilege and if you're not totally sure that you know Jesus that you have a relationship with him maybe you didn't know that he he loves you so much and yeah we all make mistakes we've all got 
We've all got different stacks of sins in our life. But that's why Jesus came is to, to save us from those because we can't save ourselves. There's nothing we can do to wipe away those, those mistakes in our life. We can never be good enough. But praise Jesus, we don't have to be good enough because Jesus paid the price for our sin. He paid the price for you and for me. If you do know for sure that you're going to heaven to be with him one day, I, I just want to encourage you right now, just thank him for that. Just thank him for that right where you are right now. Pray and thank him for the fact that you know that your sins are forgiven and that you don't have to worry about the stack of sins that, that the enemy tries to remind you of over and over and over again. And if you want freedom from that, let me introduce you to Jesus. If you want to know more about that, please, let's, let's talk when the service is over. Or even maybe talk to the person next to you if, you if you want to come down front and pray. We can certainly do that. But I hope you've written down, all of us, something that one step this week that you can take to love Jesus and others more. If you know Jesus, I hope you've got something written down there. If you, if you don't, maybe that thing to write down is, is you want to put your full faith and trust in him. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Father, Father, we love you and we praise you, God. We thank you so much for your unconditional love, for your agape love for us, God, that we can never repay. But Lord, you love us so much. We're we're so un, unworthy and we, and we don't deserve it, God, but you love us so much and we thank you for that. And God, I pray that each one of us can take this charge to love you and love others more this week, Lord, to protect and provide the way that you do for us. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just continue to move in this place as it is right now, Lord, and if there's one that doesn't know you, Lord, that maybe the enemy is just weighing them down with guilt and shame. Father, I pray that you would free them as only you can from that today, God, or at least have them to begin taking steps toward you for that, God, because the only place we can find salvation is in you. So God, I pray that you would move in such a mighty way today. Lord, if, again, if there's one that doesn't know you, I pray that they would make that decision today. God, we love you. We worship you. We praise you. In Jesus' name.